Tonight, rejecting a landmark agreement for child welfare on First Nations. A new delay for a deal years in the making. This is a major, major setback. The $40 billion plan now on hold. They can do a lot of different things to make sure that nobody's left behind. Businesses losing out from Canada's massive labor shortage. We offer them a premium to come in, then they don't show up. And the consequences of another anticipated rate hike tomorrow. Plus, tuning out Kanye West. A lot of people would say that they, they should have done it quicker. More major brands backing out as the backlash grows over his anti-Semitic remarks. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. A historic deal to fix a broken child welfare system and compensate First Nations families harmed by historical wrongs is stalled tonight and in danger of unraveling. The Canadian Human Rights Tribunal ruled it doesn't go far enough. The $40 billion agreement included $40,000 for each child who suffered. But today, the tribunal declared this work is left unfinished. The concern is that too many survivors won't qualify. CTV's Manitoba Bureau Chief Jill Makashan with the frustration at yet another delay in a painful process that has already taken years. First Nations children, their parents and grandparents, those unfairly pushed into the child welfare system, have been waiting for compensation, up to $40,000 worth. Today, it moved farther from reach. This is a major, major setback, and these kids deserve compensation. And it's too bad that, you know, people were irresponsible and took that away from them. Very disheartening. In 2019, the federal government was ordered to compensate First Nations children and their families after a ruling Ottawa had not properly funded child welfare services on reserves. This settlement agreement, years in the making, finally had the support of the Assembly of First Nations and the federal government, but the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal saw gaps. There's disappointment. This was a compensation plan designed by First Nations people for First Nations people. But some First Nations children would not qualify for compensation or they would receive a lesser share. There's a group of uh, recipients that would see their amount go from 40000 down to 20000 and another group for whom the entitlements were uncertain. And we, our message to Canada and to the class action lawyers was, make sure you don't leave these people behind. The Canadian Human Rights Tribunal called it discrimination, writing, some victims, survivors, who were recognized by and awarded compensation by this tribunal have been removed or provided with reduced compensation. Obviously frustrated ministers defended the federal government's commitment. Work to this day has gone on to make that significant change to fix a broken system. The tribunal has asked the parties to continue working past the December 30th deadline into March, as the 300,000 people the Assembly of First Nations estimates could be receiving compensation wait. Omar. 300,000 people. All right, Jill, thank you. A B.C. woman who traveled to Syria to marry an ISIS fighter is on her way home tonight after being released from the detention camp where she's been held for more than three years. Kimberly Pullman is one of at least three Canadians set free today. CTV's B.C. Bureau Chief Melanie Nagy on the long-awaited repatriation.
After several years spent in a detention camp in northeastern Syria, Kimberly Pullman has finally been released. CTV News has learned the tent Pullman lived in was emptied this week and that she left with another woman with ties to Quebec. They were also traveling with at least one child. Her tent has been raised to the ground. Lawrence Greenspawn has been working to free Pullman. The Ottawa lawyer who represents more than 20 Canadians detained in Syria says her release is long overdue. Her physical and mental health uh, were very much at risk. He also says few details are being shared by officials as to how exactly she was freed. We don't know uh, any details as to uh, who has overseen the repatriation. Pullman left Canada for Syria in 2015 after meeting an ISIS fighter online who convinced her to marry him. I was lured here. I was incredibly naive. After a tumultuous time, she was captured by Kurdish fighters in 2019. Like many other foreign nationals with alleged links to ISIS, she was thrown into a detention center with deplorable conditions. No Canadian should be unlawfully detained in these camps. Other countries, including several EU nations, have repatriated hundreds of their citizens, but Canada has long said security reasons stopped them from stepping in. Canada has abandoned these people. They have never sent any food. They have never sent any water. They've never sent medicines. Today, when asked about Pullman, the Prime Minister said he wouldn't discuss individual cases. I don't comment on direct operations. That sentiment was echoed by the Public Safety Minister. However, he added supporting a terrorist group is a serious criminal offence. And those who engage in that kind of activity will face the full force of the law. Global Affairs Canada has said very little today. However, last year the department quietly adopted a policy that may have qualified Pullman for release due to serious illness. Omar? All right, Melanie Meiji in Vancouver tonight. Thanks. U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner lost her bid for release from a Russian prison today when a court rejected an appeal of her nine year sentence for smuggling cannabis oil. <laughs> The judge upheld the original verdict, but did allow credit for time already served. Today's ruling puts more pressure on the White House to bring the two-time Olympic medalist home. We're in constant contact with Russian authorities to get Brittany and others out. Washington calls the appeal trial a sham, claiming the sentence is both excessive and disproportionate. And the White House also said Joe Biden spoke to his new British counterpart tonight about standing together in support of Ukraine. Rishi Sunak officially took over as the United Kingdom's prime minister today after months of political turmoil that saw two other leaders resign. CTV's senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor on moving day at number 10 Downing Street. A motorcade took Britain's next leader to Buckingham Palace. The invitation from King Charles III to form government made Rishi Sunak officially the Prime Minister. Earlier in the day, departing leader Liz Truss gave perfunctory best wishes and defended the economic policies she implemented. We simply cannot afford to be a low-growth country where the government takes up an increasing share of our national wealth. And then left on her own trip to the palace to resign. Now the resident of 10 Downing Street, Sunak thanked Truss and also critiqued her short stay in the job. I admired her restlessness to create change. But some mistakes were made. In his first speech as Prime Minister, he laid out the challenges facing his new government. Right now, our country 
is facing a profound economic crisis. The aftermath of COVID still lingers. Putin's war in Ukraine has destabilized energy markets and supply chains the world over. Justin Trudeau offered a statement promising collaboration to bolster our important economic relationship as we negotiate a comprehensive, ambitious and inclusive Canada-United Kingdom free trade agreement. A gentle reminder that since Brexit, supported by Sunak, the UK is no longer part of Canada's trade pact with Europe. Congratulations received and formalities completed, Sunak turned to a daunting task, unifying his party, warning the Conservatives must unite or die. He began by shuffling his cabinet. The opposition fears this new front bench will implement austerity measures, deep cuts to government spending. I will place economic stability and confidence at the heart of this government's agenda. This will mean difficult decisions to come. With a Conservative majority, Sunak doesn't have to face voters until January 2025 unless he calls an early election. If he did now, polls suggest the result would be a massive Labour Party win. Omar. Glenn McGregor in London tonight. Well, economic stability is also a focus on this side of the Atlantic, especially after new tally on the cost of the country's labour shortage, $13 billion over the past year. An annual labour survey released today shows 62% of manufacturers have lost or turned down contracts due to a lack of workers, while 42% have postponed or cancelled. But those vacant jobs may soon dry up, depending on what the Bank of Canada does tomorrow morning. CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier explains. Like so many businesses across the country, Ottawa's hometown sports grill is hiring. But people are just not applying. You know, we're all over. We're on Kijiji, we're on uh, road sign. Uh, we've even had our own staff trying to bring in their friends offering them incentives. That Yo, do you have my, uh, the sweets the An unprecedented labour market with unemployment at 5.2% and an abundance of jobs out there. According to Statistics Canada, there are 1.3 million job vacancies across the country, up from 509,000 at the end of 2019, a few months before COVID shutdowns. But as the Bank of Canada is expected to hike its rate tomorrow, prices for goods, services and supplies will increase, squeezing consumers and businesses, and wages will not rise at the pace of inflation. Unfortunately, it, you know, everyone's going to ask workers to take one for the team. Uh, well, you know, the, the corporate side sort of runs away with the profits over this inflationary period. And those job opportunities will begin to shrink, say economists, one of the side effects of the central bank's plan to rein in inflation. In Carp, a suburb of Ottawa, this manufacturer produces cement pipes, sewers and manholes. It is offering competitive salaries, benefits and pension. We we're currently looking for around 10 to 15 employees. A survey of 563 manufacturers in 17 industries across the country found that four out of five companies are facing labour shortages. With interest rates increasing and costs skyrocketing, the company will see fewer contracts. Uh, you see buildings being put on hold. Uh, you see customers, you know, taking a bit longer to take product. Canadians will face an economic slowdown. And with the Bank of Canada increasing its rate to fight inflation, the risk, economists say, is a recession. Negative growth 
and harder times ahead. Omar? Joyce Napier in Ottawa tonight. Canada's industry minister has rejected a proposed $26 billion merger between two of Canada's biggest telecom companies unless they agree to new conditions. When it comes to wireless services, Canadians deserve and need better options. The deal would have resulted in a corporate marriage of Toronto-based Rogers and Calgary-based Shaw, including its wireless division, Freedom Mobile. But earlier this year, the two companies revealed they would want to sell the wireless arm to Quebecor for $2.85 billion. Today, the minister said that can only happen if Quebecor agrees to hold on to Freedom Mobile's wireless assets for at least a decade. And if there's a price drop for Freedom Mobile's customers in Ontario and Western Canada, where they pay about 20% more than what Videotron, which Quebecor owns, currently charges subscribers in Quebec. Lawyers for Doug Ford launched his legal bid to avoid appearing at the Emergencies Act inquiry. The Ontario Premier doesn't want to testify and today also avoided talking about it. Here's CTV's Judy Trin. As the Freedom Convoy paralyzed the capital, the Premier was missing in action, snowmobiling in the Muskokas. A federal inquiry wants to know why, but the Ontario government is going to court on November 1st to fight his summons. Why did the Premier and Minister refuse the Commission's request? Today, Doug Ford was absent again and left it to his government house leader to tow the party line. This is certainly a, a policing matter and, uh, and not a, a political matter. If I was him, I would be ashamed of not ha having taken action for two weeks, personally. Ottawa's outgoing mayor has already testified. The prime minister and members of his cabinet will also take the stand to answer questions about this email. Hours before the Emergencies Act was enacted, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky said police had not yet exhausted all available tools. We took the decision because it was necessary. We took the decision because this was a situation that was without precedent. Meanwhile, back at the inquiry, Ottawa police were in the hot seat yet again. There was a lot of references that were popping up on social media saying this was going to be their January 6th. A riot didn't materialize, but an occupation did. This inspector was forced to answer why police appeared friendly with protesters and only watched as laws were broken. For example, if we have a, an emotionally charged crowd that is marching and protesting and going through the city uh, and somebody breaks a window in that crowd, we are not going to rush in to arrest them right away for that event because it has a high volatility to escalate the crowd to more violence. But the softer approach was divisive. The inquiry has heard that the city's top cop wanted more enforcement, while his two deputies wanted more negotiation. Omar. Judy, thank you. Coming up, cutting ties with Kanye West. New corporate consequences for his anti-Semitic tirades, plus haunted by a Halloween theft on the front line. A critical moment tonight in one of the most watched races in the upcoming U.S. midterm elections. Former TV personality Dr. Mehmet Oz squared off in a debate tonight with control of the Senate at stake. Oz is a Republican candidate in Pennsylvania, and polls have him just behind Democrat John Fetterman. I want Washington to be civil again, where you need it to be less radical. Fetterman is recovering from a stroke and suffers auditory and speech processing disabilities. As a result, Oz called for him to release his medical records. 
I'm putting my doctors, the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. The election takes place in exactly two weeks. The deal that once made Kanye West a billionaire is now dead after clothing giant Adidas cut ties with a rapper over a stream of anti-Semitic remarks. The company, which Jewish groups note has past links to the Nazi regime, is just the latest in a long line of sponsors to sever their relationship with the artist. CTV's Tom Walters explains. Nearly three weeks after Adidas said it was reviewing its partnership with Kanye West, the other shoe has dropped. With the Yeezy shoe deal thought to be worth as much as $2 billion, Ye thought he was too big to touch. I could say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Now this. Adidas says Ye's recent comments and actions have been unacceptable, hateful, and dangerous, and they violate the company's values. For weeks now, West has been spouting anti-Jewish rhetoric, including a tweet threatening to, quote, go DEATHCON 3 on Jewish people. The words are a confused malaprop for the military term DEFCON. I actually haven't read any book. But more importantly, they are an all-too-clear suggestion of physical violence. Inflammatory talk when acts of anti-Jewish vandalism and violence are already soaring. Kanye's hateful rhetoric has been condemned by everyone from his ex-wife to the White House. At the end of the day, it is disgusting. The fashion house Balenciaga, Gap, and West's own talent agency have severed ties, and over 160,000 people signed a petition demanding Adidas do the same. Look, the freedom of expression we enjoy in this country is not the freedom to incite violence. But all it takes is one person. The concern that someone with West's profile could incite others was underscored during the weekend when this group showed up on a freeway overpass in Los Angeles. Now, Adidas has had enough. I wish it had happened sooner, but this does send a strong statement. Strong because Adidas estimates it will lose nearly $250 million in net income in what's left of this year. Tom Walters, CTV News, Los Angeles. Late night host James Corden, who also joins musical guests on his famous carpool karaoke segments, is singing an entirely different tune with the public Mia culpa on his show after losing his cool at a New York restaurant. In the heat of the moment, I made, I made a sarcastic, rude comment, right, about cooking it myself. And it is a comment I deeply regret. And it was wrong. It was, it was an unnecessary comment. It was ungracious to the server. Corden lashed out at a waiter who served a dish that his wife was allergic to three times. He was temporarily banned from the restaurant. Still ahead, the new flight reward. The potential perk for passengers if they agree to a cabin compromise. A spectacular crash involving a fuel truck and two cars on a Florida highway has left four people injured, three of them critically. I-95 in Palm Beach County resembled a war zone as fire raged at the scene. Police say one of the cars collided with the tanker truck, which flipped over and burst into flames. For some reason, it seems, thieves have their eyes set on skeletons this Halloween season. A big inflatable one on a motorcycle was stolen from a home in Windsor, Ontario. A doorbell camera shows the suspect pulling out the stakes. And 10 days ago, a thief in Texas stole a 14-foot-long skeleton from a condo complex 
and stuffed it into an SUV. And with the cost of flying these days, fares aren't exactly considered a steal. But for passengers who do end up on board, there's generally one seat many avoid. Turning our middle seats into wonderful lottery tickets. Virgin Australia is launching a lottery to entice more passengers to sit in those dreaded middle seats. The choice for fewer than 1% of the people recently polled by the airline. Now those who voluntarily select the middle will be entered in a draw with a total prize pool worth nearly $150,000. After the break... Dance with me. How dance is helping patients with Parkinson's disease. We leave you tonight with a courageous group living with Parkinson's disease, harnessing the power of music as medicine. Here's CTV's Vanessa Lee. There is passion and perseverance at this Toronto dance class. In these moments, people here don't feel like patients. They are dancers. Some movements are difficult for me day to day, but when I'm in the class with, the, with Sarah and the others and the music is playing, it motivates me and I find myself moving more fluidly than normal. She's following me in a mirror. Classically trained dancer Sarah Robichaux started the program 14 years ago, hoping to help those with Parkinson's disease. Research has shown dancing can improve motor and cognitive functions. People with Parkinson's disease often have trouble initiating movement and finding that fluidity and coordination and balance, all of the things that we do naturally in dance. Shortly after Robichaud launched the classes, her grandfather was diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disorder. I knew a way that I could help him find some joy and connection um, through movement and music. What began as a group of 15 has since multiplied, with dancers swaying in unison from every pocket of the country every single day. For Phil Diaz, it is now a crucial part of his daily routine. Sometimes you feel it hard, but if you kind of get into the flow, it, this, the moves seem to come more easily. But uh, you give it your best shot, you know what I mean? I'm not a good dancer, but that doesn't matter. To the sky! It's also a chance to connect with others who understand. It's true, we're all hooked together by this Parkinson's, but it's a community of friends and we encourage each other. A lifeline through the power of music and movement. Vanessa Lee, CTV News, Montreal. The healing power of art. And that's a snapshot of this Tuesday for all of us at CTV National News. Thank you for watching and see you tomorrow.